simply discussing a movie podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined this week by Christine Deacon. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. And Zach Roland. Hey. And today we're discussing uh, Zach's suggestion, mid-90s. Uh, which is a film that follows Stevie, a 13-year-old in 1990s-era Los Angeles who spends his summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. Uh, The writing and directing debut of Jonah Hill. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Uh, I'm going to start. Um, I think this will be of interest to all of you. Um, and probably a, a large swath of our audience. Um, one of my favorite uh, funny TV shows to watch is a very low uh, stakes competition show from the UK called Taskmaster. Um, anyone who's seen it uh, will know what it is that I like about it, um, but it's... Uh, they basically every season, um, you know, or series as they call them over there, uh, they have a new group of five contestants, uh, usually comedians or TV personalities, those, you know, entertainer type of people um, that compete in these very weird, random escape room esque challenges. Um, and the way that the, the show is made, uh, they, uh, they do a lot, they do a bunch of shooting where they essentially show up not knowing anything about what they're going to do. They open up, uh, a note from the taskmaster, read the note. It tells them what the parameters of the task are and the time limit, and then they do it. And then at a later time they get together and they record the actual presentation of what happened when they attempted to do the tasks, how everyone did. Um, and it's all judged and it's all really fun and bizarre and silly. Um, it's the creation of, uh, a guy named Alex Horn and, uh, he pretends to be the assistant of Greg Davies. Who's another, uh, comedian And Greg Davies is the taskmaster. Um, So he is is seemingly in charge. He does the judging. um, But Alex is the one that comes up with all of the ideas. Um, The reason I bring this up, uh, the show, I think, is in its 10th season right now in the UK, uh, is that up until recently, it has been incredibly hard to find in the US um, outside of copies that people have shared from recording it over there, that sort of thing. But uh, I believe the first seven or eight seasons of it are now up for free on Taskmaster's YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. The first season is is great. Um, I think everybody will enjoy it. Uh, the third season is the worst. <laughs> so you might suffer a little bit through that one, but then after the third season, it switches from being a six episode per season 
show to being an eight episode per season show. And by that point, you, you just you want more and more. So uh, it's fantastic. Lots of uh, really funny people on there. Not so much in season three, but all the rest of the seasons are very solid. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my my recommendation for Taskmaster um, free on YouTube in the U.S. So go us. Uh, Christine, what have you been watching lately? So I watched on Saturday. Was it Saturday? Yes, it was Saturday. Uh, Reminiscence on HBO Max uh, by the creators of uh, Westworld. Um, it has Hugh Jackman and Thandie Newton. And it's about... Movie, show? Movie. Okay. Um, and it's about a guy uh, who pretty much keeps the good memories, like the people once you revisit again and again, uh, and they go to him, and he like uh, it. Basically, it's Hugh Jackman ASMR. Um, he takes okay. them on a journey. Back into their good memories for a little while. And then he gets a visit from a woman who just wants to find her and watch. But there's more to the story than that. And as she's going on this journey, she tricks you, Jackman. And um, it reminded me a lot of a short story, or not a short story, a novella that my friend had written. Uh... And as I was watching it, I realized that I liked my friend's novella more than I liked this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I went on his Facebook and I was like, hey, John, uh, if you see this movie and you think, hey, that's a lot like my story, uh, think your story's better. So don't don't worry about it. (laughs) But his story doesn't come with Hugh Jackman ASMR. (laughs) No, it does not. Which might be a down yeah. a downgrade for yeah. some people. It might. Uh, um, I am not one of those people, but yeah, there are but people that there are there very much are people who want Hugh Jackman ASMR. So yeah. if you want that, check out Reminiscence. Right on. Yeah, I don't I don't personally care about ASMR at all. <laughs> um, I'm more a Doctor Pimple Popper type guy, but that's just me. Uh, Josh, how about you? So I watched a um, indie horror movie called um, The Vigil uh, from 2019. It's uh, about a former um, Hasidic Jew who is trying to break away from his uh, past and uh, his traumatic past and is hired to uh, watch a body overnight. Um, I I forget the the word for it, the Hasidic word for it. But, um, you know, uh, they have to hold a vigil overnight so that evil spirits can't get into a dead body. Um, And so he's stuck in the house uh, with a woman with dementia and her dead husband, and things just go very wrong. Um, Yeah, aren't they supposed to bury him before sundown? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, exactly. He has to watch over him until the sunrise, and then they can bury him. So okay, yeah, uh, it's got. I think it's got some solid visual scares. There's no jump scares in it or anything. No cheap 
scares I didn't feel like. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you like uh, low-budget, um, moody horror, I would, I think I would recommend The Vigil. Well, and it's certainly an underserved demographic, the Hebrew horror fans. <laughs> exactly. Out <Yes>. there. Uh, <laughs> where did you watch this? Uh, this was on Amazon. Uh, Hulu. Hulu. You're right. Hulu. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yes. Cool. Zach, how about you? I went and saw The Green Knight per um, mm-hmm. the suggestion of um, Josh. And I, I enjoyed it. Um, I wouldn't say it's my probably favorite A24 film, but um, I really liked the, you know, the, the different way that they told the story. Um, I, I think that like people that I saw that in the theater with were very confused, <laughs> uh, which is, is about right. But that was, um, was Josh's experience too. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, all in all, I was like, this is good. I was like, I, I would watch this again just because I, I enjoyed the way that they did it. And, and then it's a, another a 24 film that I think that they successfully executed. So just wanted to mention it. Um, what I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if I've talked about it in the past, but I'm going to bring it back up again. Cause I'm going on a campaign, um, of watching outlander for the first time. And, um, man, I did not know it was so good. I'm just blown away by like we, uh, my wife and I got through the first season recently and I I don't know if any of you all have seen it or not, but the end of the first season is heartbreaking and hard to watch. Like, yeah, it's so, it's so raw. Um, and for like the story that they're telling and where they're go, where they go with it by the end of the first season, you're just like, ah, um, that's the Man. one about like the woman that gets sent back in time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a time travel show, which so, I did, did not know. <laughs> yeah. So the books have been really popular mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they, they sort of fall into this uh, sort of romance or, or uh, I don't know if it's necessarily like pure romance or anything like that, but it, it has a definitely a, uh, uh, for women type of sure uh, writing style, and uh, Hannah, I think, had read the books or at least one of the books, and was very excited that the show was coming out. And we, I got it all set up so that we could watch it uh, together because she doesn't really watch things on her own. Um, and I feel like we watched the first episode and both went, eh. And and just noped sure. out of it from there. So I get that because honestly, as I was seeing, I would see like little things for it here and there, and I would hear t- people talk about it. And I actually there was a guy who I used to listen to a podcast for, and he did like a whole rewatch series, essentially kind of like how we did with Dexter and all that yeah. stuff. And I was like, it just doesn't sound like it's for me, even though I, I'm a big history buff and I love time travel stuff. And like, I honestly felt the same way. And then we watched the first episode and we were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll keep going with it. And the first season is slow, but mm-hmm. man, the end of the first season is just like I said, it's, I just was like, holy shit, this is intense. Um, and then the second season picks up and the pacing on the second season is very good. Um, and they are slated to drop the sixth season next year. And then they're going to have a seventh and I think maybe final season, mm-hmm. um, which I'm just shocked that they've gotten that far. I didn't even know they were still in production. Honestly, um, there's four seasons on Netflix and I was excited to be able to get through it. And I'm like, well, now I got to get stars again. Cause I got to watch the rest of outlander. Yeah. Um, but I can definitely see that Dale, how, 
it can be a bit of a turnoff, especially that first episode and knowing yeah, was, the books from this from the show. Yeah, you know? for stars, I was way more interested in American Gods. Yeah, love that um, one. Much more interested in that. But uh, yeah, it sounds interesting. I was going to ask you, not that it needs to have the same sort of uh, twist, but is the ending more or less intense than uh, the end of the first season of Game of Thrones? Um, I would say it's, it's more intense, but in a different way yeah. than like the, the events of what happens in the first season of Game of Thrones, which I think people were, were obviously shocked by because of the fact of what happens, uh, to certain characters. Um, I would say it, it feels that same way where you're like, I did not expect to see this okay. happening on screen right now. Um, yeah. And it's, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's slowish. Like even the ending of, of the first season is slowish, but, um, like you were talking about that romance stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting for the time period and the romance that's happening, but not happening. It's it, yeah. I don't want to try to give too much away in case anybody wants to watch it. Um, uh, it, cause it, I was just totally blown away by, and, and the way that they filmed it too, you're just like the actors going through what they had to go through. I feel like is like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then want to continue to do more seasons of this. Cause it's a pretty sexual show. Um, yeah. And and I will say that the, the ending of the first season is the, the sexuality behind it is, is the driving force and it is intense. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, yeah. Game of Thrones, they coined the term sex position because they always <laughs> they always incorporated the most boring uh, concepts into sex scenes in that show. Yeah. So like you needed to learn about, you know, the land across the narrow sea and its history. And so someone would tell a tell a hooker about it. So, <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> that's would be how a you learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that that's uh, that sounds good. Uh, our movie again, mid 90s. Uh, Zach's suggestion. Zach, had you seen the movie before? Yes, I actually saw it in theaters when it first came out. Okay, so none of the rest of us had. Um, not for any particular reason. Um, I had kind of thought about seeing it and just never got around to it. Um, but, uh, Christine, let's start with you. What did you think of mid-90s? So, uh, mid-90s, for me, it was not really my speed uh just because when i think of the mid-90s this is definitely not what i was doing at that time i was (laughs) just i was just a little bit younger uh, than stevie (laughs) during the mid just a little bit younger in the mid-90s i would yeah um four yeah um (laughs) you know uh i could definitely I was trying to picture, like, what Jonah Hill was thinking when making this movie. Uh, It seemed to me like he was like, oh, yeah, the mid-90s, we're skateboarding, we're drinking milk straight out of the jug, and orange juice straight out of the jug. And uh, definitely a big turnoff for me was, like, the use of the the, the F slur and the r slur like yeah. that just just a big turnoff for me i was like uh you could really make a, i felt like he could make the movie without doing that but that's yeah that that's a question that has been put to him 
Yeah. Um, and he felt like that would that would compromise the accuracy of what that time was really like, um, especially for for like I mean, this isn't like an autobiographical story, but he was the age that these kids were at this time. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I was pretty close to the age of these kids at this time. I was a bit older. Um, yeah. So yeah, a lot of that that language definitely rang true. Um, so yeah. yeah, it's not great. It's not great to hear it, but yeah, Dale, yeah. You, you, it's kind of in that same track where it's like, he's just trying to really give you an idea of what that felt like to be a kid during that time and use this kind of slang and not really understand it, you know, to a certain degree. I think. Right. And if you're going to use the N word in a movie about the nineties, then you've got to, you've got to use all of the, all I guess, of the yeah. slurs of the time. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it doesn't uh, make it any easier to, to, to listen no, to it for an hour and no, a half, but it yeah. It definitely doesn't. <laughs> um, but uh, I think for me, the my favorite part was the the little movie at the end. Mm-hmm. The fourth grade show. Fourth grade's movie. Yeah, that was my favorite part. Um, definitely got a little bit uncomfortable uh, with Stevie in the room with the older girl. <laughs> Um, oh yeah! I yeah. as soon as I saw that start up, I was like, "Oh boy, Christine!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, not gonna be into this. No, not at all. Um, I uh, yeah had to step away a minute, but I came back and watched the rest of it. Um, so, uh, other than that, uh, there were definitely good parts in there, um, uh, but definitely not my favorite. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't know how this compares to the ice storm as far as uncomfortability goes. I think just because of the tone of the rest of the film, um maybe it was it, it seemed less to me at the time, whereas in the ice storm it just kind of comes out of nowhere. You're like, "What is happening?" Um <laughs> but you yeah. know, it uh, it was it was an interesting way to way to portray that that side of their lives. Uh, Josh, what were your thoughts on mid nineties? Yes, well, I was disappointed this was not about Jack the Ripper and, and the prostitute killings <laughs> uh, when I found. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, I was totally the misled. dream of the nineties is alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so besides, once I got over the initial disappointment, um, yeah, I uh, coming-of-age movies are kind of tough for me in general as a genre, I think. Um, just in terms of how much you relate or don't relate to the main character um, kind of determines how much you're going to get out of the movie, I feel like. Um, so Stevie and I had very different mid-90s um, uh, <laughs> as well. Uh, I... Uh, I would have been like a big nerd that those kids would have made fun of probably um, back then. Uh, the The parts I really liked were the quiet parts, like um, his brother and him uh, on the couch playing video games mm-hmm. and like their first little moment of connection, basically, um, talking about their mom. And then, uh, oh, I've forgotten everybody's nickname. Uh, not fuck shit. 
but uh, the main the main guy, Ray. Oh, Ray. he didn't have a nickname. Uh, yeah, he was just Ray. So yeah, the when Ray and Stevie are sitting out behind the the skate shop talking, like those were my favorite moments of the movie. Um, the partying and the the train spotting sequences and everything like those. I felt like I'd seen stuff like that before, and it didn't really add a lot to the genre. But um, but yeah, I thought there was some good stuff in it um, for sure. But yeah, uh, I, I would give it like a C plus maybe or something like that. Uh, okay. Not, yeah, not, I'm not in a hurry to watch it again, but I don't regret watching it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll finish things off here before uh, we open it up for Zach. Um, so um, I I enjoyed this movie. I think more than everyone else that's talked about it so far. Um, there were there's a lot about it that rang true to me, um, not because um, I grew up in a skateboard gang in in L.A. someplace or in the Valley someplace um, like these kids did. Um, but, you know, I did have a group of friends that were in the skating at the time this was happening um and interestingly i was more the age of the older brother uh at this period of time so the youngest of my brothers which i'm the oldest of five so i have two younger brothers the youngest of my brothers would have been exactly this right age like down to the ninja turtle sheets and um all of that stuff and um absolutely worshipped his older brother uh even if his older brother wasn't great to him um i was not a terrible big brother um mm-hmm. i didn't beat the shit out of my uh my brothers or uh uh keep them from listening to music i i shared most of that kind of stuff with them um but uh you know uh I also lived in the middle of nowhere in Illinois and, um, you know, those of us that grew grew up in the mid nineties in the Midwest had a very different experience than people that grew up in, um, mid California. So, uh, uh, you know, there, there are some differences. Um, I think the, the relationship between the group of kids is really good um i thought the you know the little arc of the mother coming to realize that these other kids are not a terrible influence on her kids um just in the two scenes that they have together you know where she yells at him in the one scene and then she finds them all asleep in the waiting room you know however many hours later after this car accident um you know uh that they're they're actually sort of better brother figures and better father figures than the home life that he has um in that they don't beat the shit out of him he beats the shit out of himself with skateboarding <laughs> cuz skateboarding is rough um and uh you know that whole scene of him uh doing a very very 
poor attempt at a jump over that gap. Um, and they're like, is he dead? Uh, yeah. I mean, those sorts of things that definitely happened with people doing skateboard tricks and trying to, trying to get away with all that kind of stuff. And we never got really great at skateboarding. Um, mostly because you could only do it like two or three months out of the year where we live. Um, and you know, it's not a big concrete jungle, like most of the LA metro area is. Um, so, you know, you only got to practice a little bit during the summer. And by the time the next summer rolled around, you'd forgotten at least two thirds of what you learned the, the prior year. But, um, you know, I, I, I at least tried it, uh, a couple of times. I could never fall into the half pipe. Um, successfully i could i could fall um <laughs> and you know and only lightly injure myself um the whole not using pads thing <clears throat> that's very real um and uh that kind of stuff i i wrote down um a couple of notes i like to remind myself of things that that pique my interest in a movie or make me laugh or whatever um first note was um when you're when you're trying to go through somebody's CDs and listen to them uh, without the other person knowing, don't take the CD out, put it into a discman, put headphones on, and listen to it in their room. Take the CD, leave the jewel case. No one's any the wiser, <laughs> and the chances that they're going to open that CD and decide that someone stole it versus they lost it, just about none. Um. <laughs> There's a point where he's literally reading Big Brother magazine, mm -hmm. which I thought was hysterical. Um, there was also a moment where Stevie jumped up to refill the water. It was like the first thing that they had like asked him to do, and he was really excited about it and ran to do it. That is my 11-year-old son right now. Oh. He loves to help. He loves being involved and included and... Any, any small thing that he can, he can be part of, that's what he wants to do. Um, and in a, in a sort of, uh, sorting hat way, I want to say points for Morrissey, uh, using Morrissey in that scene was, was fantastic. So, um, I'll turn it over to you, Zach. Uh, what the hell, man? Why did we watch <laughs> mid nineties? Yeah. Um, I, saw this when it came out in theaters and I had seen previews for it and I was like, Oh, that looks interesting. And with Jonah Hill's debut as writing and directing, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I've been a pretty decent fan of Jonah Hill's work as an actor thus far. So let's see what he can do behind the camera. Um, and then I watched it and I was like, did they take notes from my life? Mm -hmm. What is happening? So like Josh was saying, it's different depending on how you grew up and what time period you grew up and all that stuff. But Oh my goodness, this this movie's just like spoke straight to me, like from the evolution of how Stevie was with like, you just said the Ninja Turtle stuff. I had those same sheets. I was that kid where everybody I that age did. Yeah. And I was like, uh, and then that transition and I was the older brother because um, my brother wasn't born until the mid nineties. So I was an only child, um, but finding my way in a new neighborhood when my parents moved from one place to another place, 
Um, and then I got into skateboarding. So I transitioned away from like the kid stuff to more of like the adult stuff. So I, I had like big brother and magazine and thrasher magazine. Mm-hmm. I had the posters up on the walls. I had my own skateboard. I was also terrible at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started wearing the skater clothes, um, talking in that awful fashion, um, and looking for role models. You know, I was looking for, for people to help me to navigate the world and, and things like that. The partying, um, getting with girls, like all that stuff. Like I was way too young for any of that stuff really, but like still trying and like, yeah. um, I, yeah, like had my first sexual experience in like seventh grade, which was like very Stevie where he's like, you know, the two finger thing. And I was like, oh, I can totally relate, bro. My favorite part about all of that. <laughs> was was not the uncomfortable scene between them the whole you know i'm nervous well don't be nervous it's okay it's gonna be all right that kind of thing my favorite part of that whole thing was uh him telling her that he doesn't kiss and tell and that he's a gentleman yep and her being like well you know i'm glad to hear that and then they both immediately go to their friends (laughs) and describe in detail what's happened yeah and the guys are all like congratulating him about, you know, his 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 two finger, uh, you know, first time. And <laughs> the girls are talking about how, uh, you know, he's going to love you forever. And yeah. of course, the next time he sees them, he's just like. Oh. And goes on it's like because that's what he learned from, you know, his group of friends. Yeah, yeah, because especially fuck shit, because that's what f- she told him. That's what fuck shit does is that he hooks up and then he ignores them for a month. And then when he wants to get, again, he comes back. Yeah. Um, but I also don't believe that like any of those guys had ever actually lost their virginity by that point either. Like, I think that's a whole thing we all used to put on where we're like, yeah, totally. You know, I'd hooked up. I did it. Yeah, and you're absolutely. Like, no. None of y'all did any of that, you know. I mean, L.A., definitely different. That uh, So, I, I obviously, I grew up in Kansas City in the 90s, and, st- and so I didn't have that same, you know, sensibility of, like, what L.A. was. Um, but, my, but living in L.A. and actually driving on Motor Avenue and mo- driving past where that location was, essentially, you know, it's like, oh, I kind of – I get this vibe because L.A. – in itself, I feel like it has evolved and changed a lot, but still been kind of the same always, you know? Mm-hmm. So you've kind of have that same, like anything from the nineties, like you could literally shoot something now and it almost feels like depending on how you shoot it and dress, it could almost feel like it still is the nineties to a certain degree, you know? Yeah. Um, and they got away I, with a lot by shooting in 16 millimeter. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I said before we started recording that if they really wanted to be accurate, they would have shot it on, mini dv mm-hmm. uh camcorders but yeah that would look even worse so <laughs> totally um i i really love the character of ray and i love the mm-hmm. fact that that guy is not an actor um jonah hill found him uh skating i think just kind of he was just like probably doing location i don't you know i i kind of i listened to a podcast about him talking about it and He's obviously um, a skateboarder yeah in real life yeah um, and so, but the way he was able to perform in the film, I mean, he, I don't think he could have a career in acting necessarily in any other capacity other than that capacity, mm-hmm. but he did such a great job with it. And, um, especially those endearing moments, just like Josh was talking about behind the skate shop when he's talking about everyone's problems. And he's like, you know, you open up someone else's closet and you want to want to wear what they're wearing, you know, right. it, it, it's like, you know, fourth grade, his family's fucking poor. And, uh, you know, 
you know, fuck shit's dealing with all this stuff. And, um, you know, my brother Ruben's, got killed. Yeah. And then his, and he reveals the thing about his brother and how he felt about that. I mean, just like, it wasn't like, I loved it because of the, of the, of the way he didn't overact, you know, it was like, I feel like actors would have tried to been like too emotional or like try to really connect with the character or the situation or whatever. And he was just like, it was just so honest and perfect for the moment for what Stevie was going through. Cause I like that kid, Sonny, like, you know, he's an actor and I think he did a great job, especially a lot of the getting beat up and like strangling himself with the video game cord, which I literally can relate to. Like when you're a kid and you think that the world is the worst place and you want to try to kill yourself and you yeah. do something stupid like that. Like I, I, I didn't do it with the video game cord, but I accidentally choked myself with a, um, like a, piece of shoestring um like i was like put it around my neck and like went down a slide and like had like this rope burn around my neck for probably a month and people Mm -hmm. were like holy shit you know um but just the way that sunny was acting i thought i felt like the guy who played ray was like just so fitting for the two dynamics that they portrayed i also really loved um sunny's uh as um stevie's um evolution per each character. So he would, he started with Ruben because Ruben was the most accessible and would talk to him. And then he would move up the echelon of like the coolest to the point where he was, even though he was hanging out with Ray and they stayed the night, you know, in the courthouse when they were skating after that conversation. But then all of a sudden he ends up as like fuck shit's little right hand man, which Mm. leads to him getting to a fight with Ruben and all this stuff. Like I feel those friend dynamics and the way that he moved through them, were so honest to me for sure um, in that capacity of like, you know, not you this week, especially like in middle school and high school, this week, you're friends with this group, this week, you're friends with that group, this, now you're doing this, now you're doing yeah. that. Um, well, it's also yeah. very true and realistic about like a group of guy friends that the more of them that are together, the the dumber and more um, ridiculous they are to one another and the more risk-taking they are. But when you get down to just two of them, they're very honest and, and you know, vulnerable to each other yeah. um, that way. And so, like, his early sort of relationship with Ruben, where, like, Ruben's kind of showing him the ropes of how everything works, that's Ruben's actual understanding of it. He's not, like, you know, putting him on or, or trying to mess him up or anything like that. And the same thing with Ray where like, you know, Ray would act cool in front of everybody else, but like, you know, if, if he had like, for example, like when he was talking to the, the pro skaters, like if the whole group had been standing around, he probably wouldn't have had the balls to say, go away to fuck's, uh, fuck shit. Mm. Um, I wanted to call him fuck stick for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I, I saw, um, some reviewers and, and some other people talk about this as sort of a, a male response to the movie Ladybird, which I think mm. is an interesting thing to consider. Um, just as, you know, the male experience of a of a similar you know time in someone's life and um
what that's like and you know the different expectations so yeah and that's interesting too because i actually i thought ladybird was okay but i didn't really relate to it or you know it was like oh, i'm blown away people were saying lots of great things about it i thought it was a, a, a very interesting film and executed well but at the same time like i was like i can't relate to any of this so it's not really hitting me in the same way that this film does but like josh said it's all different it's all relative to how you grew up and where you were at and all that kind of stuff and um so yeah it's really not necessarily meant to be for a, a wide audience which is why i think it was a good fit for a24 and for for Jonah Hill to sort of do it as more of like a kind of indie thing, a little bit smaller, because he's like, I know this isn't going to be for everybody. Um, so, you know, I, and it landed with me. And and I, you know, I know that um, a lot of people definitely of my age and generation and even just like you were saying, Dale, with, um, you know, brothers and growing up and having family dynamics in certain capacities. And I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely goes it can go one way or the other with a lot of viewers so um man that kid drinks a lot of orange juice i just yeah. i don't even understand it bubble pockets <laughs> orange juice yeah i think it was uh that that's one of those like precursors to the whole energy drink slash you know muscle mass thing like he was very much a bodybuilder type guy but didn't really have anything to apply it to. Like he wasn't in the sports or anything like that. He was just in the looking tough mm -hmm. um, and totally, uh, you know, totally glass jaw one punch from Stevie. And he was like sobbing on the, on the floor. So, um, which is why he also didn't get into it with fuck shit. He's like, I would have fucked that guy up, but I was flying solo. And Stevie's like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah, Steve just—he <laughs> would have destroyed you. Plus, he—we have all of <laughs> his friends are right here. Like, and he—I mean, Stevie also kicked the shit out of Ruben too. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's so, a scrapper. I have a crazy, uh, a crazy piece of trivia for this movie. Uh, we'll see if anybody else can 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 guess it from my clue. Uh, what is this movie's connection to Clint Eastwood? <laughs> mm. It's a really tough one. Got Josh's mind going now. He he loves these things, this type of thing. <laughs> he loves skateboarding and uh, getting into fight. Fourth grade <laughs> is his nephew. Oh nope. It's it's more weird and messed up than that. So wow. I was gonna say that's actually a pretty good guess. Uh, Clint Eastwood was the debut single by the band Gorillas, and the rapper featured on that song was Del the Fa Del the Funky Homo Sapien, who plays the homeless man in mid nineties. Oh right, yeah, that was also a really good scene too. Yeah. Talking about trying to get off the streets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never realized that was Del the Funky Homo Sapien because yeah. I, I actually love the gorillas. And yeah, that's one of my favorites from them. So He very rarely, if ever, performs with them, um, which is a shame because they can never really do justice to it. Most of the time when they perform that song live, they have another rapper and they actually do a completely different lyric because it's Del's lyric. 
Um, but yeah, like maybe once or twice he's performed with gorillas live. I think he just kind of thought of that as a, a one-off deal. Like, you know, all right, I'll be in Damon Alburn's cartoon band. <laughs> yeah. So. I noticed well, I him say, on the, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I noticed him on the soundtrack at the end, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. that's great. Yeah. But I had no idea he was an actor, too. Yep. Yeah. I, Thank well, you, I Amazon say, X-Ray. <laughs> yeah. The, I think the soundtrack, honestly, for this is, is phenomenal, too. I mean, they, they pick some great, solid 90s tracks, some that are a little obscure that people really kind of like, I think I heard that like on the radio once or something, or my friend played it for me on a mixtape, you know? And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had a lot of, I think that the music choices for this film really landed too. And I, I just, I found myself just like bopping along at some points, you know, and just really like grooving with it. Cause um, I like that 90s hip hop. Like once, once 90s hip hop kind of evolved into like the, 2000-ish stuff, I stopped kind of listening to hip-hop. Well, and, <laughs> was like, and, like, and <laughs> this was the era where young kids were getting into hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Like, the first hip-hop album I really seriously listened to was uh, Public Enemies Apocalypse 91. And I was 13, 14 at the time. Um, I can't remember exactly. It was, I think it was my freshman year of high school that it came out. Um, and it was this, it was also this weird, like, uh, older guys are into this. So I should check it out thing where even at my seriously insane redneck high school, the seniors, the year I was a freshman were very had very diverse musical tastes and they all went out and got apocalypse 91 like the day it came out and so of all things like i got a ride home from band practice from one of them uh from marching band practice and he was all excited because he had just gotten a cd player for his car which was a really impressive thing in 1991 yeah and uh and and cost him a fortune. It was probably like a seven or eight hundred dollar deck just to have a CD in your car, and uh, that was what he put on. Was was that? I was like, this is really scary. I need to get a copy of this somehow. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can get this past my parents, but I'm I'm gonna try. So yeah, I was real into uh, Tupac and um, Snoop Dogg came out with like Doggy Style, and that was a whole thing and. Uh, Dre's Chronic. Of course, this was like right after NWA had broken up, and Easy was in the early earlier nineties before he passed away. Was doing stuff solo and uh, Ice Cube. I was like, man, all that like late eighties, early nineties hip hop to mid nineties hip hop. I was like, ah, those yeah, those were some good days. Well, and if you're gonna get a band, or if you're gonna get uh, uh, composers to do original score for a movie called Mid Nineties, uh, you cannot do better than Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yeah, that's true. That was that was a, a perfect choice. Yeah, um, I've and I really been... I really dug their original score. Yeah, they had some great moments. I, I've just been loving everything that Trent Reznor has been doing post Nine Inch Nails. I'm just blown away by his capacity to be such a brilliant composer. Like 
I guess you kind of think because you're like, oh, he was in a rock band and they did these things or whatever. And like, yeah, I enjoyed Nine Inch Nails as well. But man, some of the when he pops up as composer, I'm like, oh, this should be good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what it took to make his first album, I mean, Nine Inch Nails was just him um, and still kind of for the most part is. But uh, like Pretty Hate Machine, he made himself over like three years and like it's all keyboard nerd, you know, programming stuff into, you know, this is decades before garage band. This is like, you had to be some kind of musical nerd to even know that this kind of stuff was possible. And then to make it industrial on top of all of that, instead of, you know, trying to be Depeche Mode or Duran Duran or something is, a whole other layer to it. But uh, yeah, I mean like the biggest, the biggest uh, rap album that I had heard before public enemy was to the extreme by vanilla ice. <laughs> Cause that was 1990. That was the big rap album. Of 1990 first number one rap record. So yeah, there you go. It's my turn to suggest a movie and I'm going to suggest a somewhat recent movie uh, that came to me when I was reading a list of, of somebody asked a question about like, what is, what's the worst uh, music biopics out there? And my knee gut reaction was all of them. Um, but then I thought of one I really liked and I thought it would be a good one for us to talk about. So I am recommending Love and Mercy with Paul Dano and John Cusack. Uh, The synopsis from IMDb here is in the 60s, Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson struggles with emerging psychosis as he attempts to craft his avant-garde pop masterpiece. In the 80s, he is a broken, confused man under the 24-hour watch of shady therapist Dr. Eugene Landy. It needed two lines to be a synopsis because this movie takes place in two time periods. Um, and Brian Wilson is played by two different actors, Paul Dano and John Cusack, uh, who look nothing alike. You kind of have to put that aside when you watch the movie and just judge it for, for what it is. So, uh, but thanks everybody, uh, for the discussion here on mid nineties. Thanks everybody out there for listening. Uh, We will see you again next week for some more deeply discussing movie podcasting.